You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Hey, everybody. You are listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I'm your host, Christina Previtt, and this is another edition of the Hashtag Fem Doctor Series. And joining me today is Dr. Kaveri Karhade, MD. She's a dermatologist in the San Francisco Bay Area, specializing in laser cosmetic and medical skin care. Welcome, doctor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to talk to you about your specialty. It's one of my favorite subjects. Before we get into all of that, because I have a tendency sometimes to to get sidetracked when we really get into your specialty, I want to know, did you always want to be a doctor? That is a great question. And the answer is no. I when I have a lot of different interests. And when I was younger, I explored a lot of different things. So I did, uh, I studied chemistry in undergrad. And I also studied, um, my major was called comparative culture and politics, which is basically anthropology. And so I really loved both of those because they helped me um, understand the world from like a micro level, which was the chemistry, and then also how humans function on a macro level, like the sociological aspect. And that was my other interest. And so when I went to medical school, I actually went in thinking I would do something like family medicine, because I was interested in prevention of disease. But I actually randomly um, started working on a project in dermatology and realized that dermatology was the perfect mix of understanding the science of something and also the psychosocial aspect of something, which is kind of what my original interests were in in the beginning. So as I went through medical school, I realized I was interested in conditions that affect people psychosocially. So things like acne, I like to understand the scientific cause of it, but also it's so impactful to a patient's perception of themselves, their self-esteem, their day-to-day, you know, confidence in life. And so being able to address that on that level has always been very rewarding for me. That's awesome. I love that. You said something interesting though. You said you wanted to focus on preventive medicine and something that I've heard a lot of the femme doctors say is that in medical school, you're so focused on treating diseases and not necessarily prevention. So would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. So then how did it kind of evolve then that you were, it sounds like you maybe were ahead of the curve where you were actually like, how do we prevent this stuff? Yeah. And I I love that question because I'm so passionate about it because in allopathic medicine, which is the type of medicine that is practiced in much of, um, you know, Europe and the United States, the focus really is on treatment. And so in medical school, we kind of go over some aspects of prevention a little bit, but the focus is really on procedures and medications to treat disease. There's definitely a role for that. Um, absolutely things like uh, conditions requiring surgery or certain types of medical conditions, skin or otherwise, require medications for treatment. But there's also a role for prevention for a lot of diseases that are stress-related, that are diet and lifestyle related. And so I, my ba- I'm Indian and my background is 
um, you know, spending a lot of time in India, I've developed an interest in Ayurvedic medicine, which is an Indian traditional type of medicine. And their focus is largely prevention. So I think that's where my interest in prevention came about. Because to me, it seemed like, if you can prevent something like hypertension or diabetes in the first place, then why wait until you have it to treat it? Right. And so that really has translated into um, my practice when it comes to skin. Um, there's a big role in not just preventing skin problems, but addressing it early on and making lifestyle changes that can that can help. So not just necessarily focusing on the medical aspect of it, but what about natural ingredients that are efficacious? What about preventing skin problems in the first place? And what about treating them? early before waiting, um, waiting till it's too late. Yeah. So skin is obviously a big issue. I think for any age, I mean, when you say acne, I think teenage acne, mm -hmm. I think there's more to it than that. I I'll let Absolutely. you speak to that, but there's also, um, in terms of anti-aging, I'm 45, I'm going to be 46 on Sunday. So I, for me, I've certainly become more, uh, aware of taking mm -hmm. care of my skin. Unfortunately, sure. now I wish I had been more mindful of it in my twenties, mm -hmm. um, because I understand that, uh, wearing sunscreen and protecting yourself from sun damage is something you really had to have done a long time ago, but it's never too late. It's never too late. Um, so maybe could you give us some perspective on skincare and sort of how that evolves over the span of one's life? Absolutely. So this is a topic that I get asked about a lot. People ask me, what's the right age to start a retinoid? When should they start getting Botox? Is it too early to consider those things? Or if you've never worn sunscreen, is it too late to start? Um, and so I really love talking about that. Basically, you mentioned acne, first of all, and a lot of people do think of it as a teenage thing, but it unfortunately likes to come back in the 30s, sometimes 40s. And so um, a lot of my patients are kind of in that age range looking to get rid of acne that they thought they had gotten rid of once and for all. Um, so the focus in and, and everybody's a little bit different, but what I, the general guidelines I like to follow are in, in a person's 20s, you're youthful, skin's great you don't really need to consider a lot of cosmetic procedures or anything like that, but preventative skincare is a good idea. So a good general basic skincare routine I like to recommend is a, a sunscreen in the morning, SPF 30 or greater, and consider using a retinoid at night. So a retinol, which you can get over the counter, a prescription strength retinoid, one of which is available over the counter called adapalene, or even a prescription strength retinoid from your dermatologist. So starting to establish a good skincare routine is not a bad idea early on if you can. However, if you're older than that and you haven't started anything like that, it's never too late to start. I actually didn't start wearing sunscreen myself regularly until I was almost 30. Um, and that's because I just didn't really think about it. I, you know, a lot of people with darker skin think, well, I'm not gonna get skin cancer. Why would I wear sunscreen? but it's definitely a good part of a anti-aging skincare routine. Um, go ahead. I'm so glad that you just brought that up because I think a lot of people do have that misperception that if you have darker skin, you already have built-in sunblock and that's really not true. It's, it's not true. And actually people with darker skin are more prone to pigmentation issues that happen because of sun exposure that can be prevented by sunscreen. So um, uh, um, 
sun sunscreen is helpful for skin cancer prevention for everybody and also for things like wrinkle prevention, but especially people with darker skin. Um, they're prone to things like melasma, which is pigmentation on the skin due to hormones or to sun and light exposure. They're prone to things like post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So when you get acne, you get brown spots as well. And those brown spots can take much longer to go away than the actual acne. Sun protection is what will help that go away even faster or even prevent it from happening in the first place. So sun protection is arguably just as important in darker skin people. I'm so glad that you're pointing those things out because what I like to get from the femme doctors and their different specialties is things that you guys know so well because you're in the field that you mm-hmm. sort of wish everybody knew because, yeah. you know, you see it all the time and the rest of us civilians, I'll call us, we just kind of <laughs> walk around and unless and until you have a bad experience, sometimes exactly. that's where the education comes in. Oh, absolutely. I so what are, more. what are some of the things that you wish that the rest of us knew as we go on about our lives to, in terms of skincare? Oh, this is such a big topic. So where do I start? First and foremost, I would say, I think everybody could benefit from at least one evaluation by a board certified dermatologist. So, um, The reason is because it's good to discuss your skincare routine as early as possible. But again, it's never too late. If you're 60 years old and you want better skin, come talk to one of us because we can probably help. The other thing is there's a huge skincare industry out there. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I have patients who come in all the time asking me if they should use this product or they should use that product. And I just wish there was a way to get a message out there that more expensive is not necessarily better. There are good skincare products for every price range. You can have a solid skincare regimen for, you know, probably $50 a year. So more, you know, there are affordable options. Um, Earlier is better. So if you're starting to have, have any sort of skincare issues, acne, brown spots, anything at all, hair loss, earlier is better. See a board certified dermatologist as soon as possible to talk about it. I'll give you a personal example. I see melasma or those brown spots on the cheeks and forehead all day long. But as I mentioned, it's triggered by pregnancy and hormonal changes. I've recently gone through pregnancy myself. And just yesterday, I started to notice a little brown patch on my own cheek. And I was like, no, this happens to other people. This doesn't happen to me. But it does happen to me. And luckily, I know that earlier is better. And so I'm going to start treating that aggressively now. I see patients who've had it for you know 20 years. And at that point, we have 20 years to undo before we can start to protect that normal skin. So earlier is better. Two, uh, the third thing is that training matters. And so in today's day and age, there are a lot of people out there wearing a white coat. There are a lot of people who are talking about being skincare experts. There are random 20 year olds out on Instagram with big followings talking about their skincare expertise. But the reality is that board certified dermatologists go through 12 years of training to talk about skincare. And so the best thing to do would be to see a board certified dermatologist there. Um, you know, if you're not in my area, I'm happy to see anybody, but if you're not in my area, you can always look one up at aad.org public to find a board certified dermatologist in your area. Because the unfortunate truth is there are a lot of providers out there who have a sort of general training 
who are not specialized in dermatology who are passing around skincare information and it's contributing to the misinformation that's out there. And so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you today and also that I have an Instagram of my own to try to address that misinformation. So I guess the main things that I would suggest are start early, see somebody about your skincare regimen and make sure that you are seeing a board certified dermatologist. That's a good point. And that was actually something I wanted to talk to you about is what do you think about all the med spas that are popping up all over the place? <laughs> and they're, they're doing a lot of the same treatments that Absolutely. a doctor would do. I think it depends Absolutely. on the state you're in. Yeah. I think in New Jersey, a doctor has to administer a la a laser treatment. I'm not sure yeah. how it is in California. Mm -hmm. I think you can med spas do a lot of the lasers too. So I think, so this is such a big topic in the world of dermatology. And this is not about, you know, I think I'm better than anybody else, or I think a dermatologist is better than a med spa. It's not about that. There are very, very good providers all over the country with various levels of training. What it's really about is safety for the patients. So what the patients that I see in my clinic as a doctor are the patients who come with having side effects from going to things like med spas. And the reason is because a lot of people think of lasers as people will say, Oh, I got a laser treatment done. My first question is which one? Because there are hundreds of different kinds of lasers. There's different brands, there's different indications for the lasers. So I would say that in order to be able to treat a full range of skin conditions, I would probably need on the order of 20 to 30 different lasers. So that's not usually in the knowledge base of the average person. They think, oh, I went to a med spa, I got a group on, I did this laser. But was it the right laser for your skin type? Was it the right laser for the type of thing that we're treating? What about the settings? So there are a lot of general settings that are followed, but there are people who do a year long fellowship after dermatology residency to study just administering lasers. And the reason is because there are many side effects that can come from these lasers. So those are the patients I see, people who come in with burns and scarring and hyperpigmentation from having gone to a med spa. And so I think there's definitely a role for them. I've gone to a med spa myself when I was in training and, you know, found a group on myself and there's absolutely a role and there's great stuff that they're doing. But I think that there should be a little bit more oversight. There should be more physician physicians administering those procedures. I personally recommend all my patients only come to a medical office, not a med spa for those treatments, because unfortunately I see the complications. And once there's a severe complication, it's very hard to backtrack. The best thing to do is to prevent it in the first place. The other problem is when patients come to me, they're a little bit afraid to pursue one of these laser treatments because they say things like, oh, I was looking online and so-and-so got this like huge burn on their cheek. And I'm like, I've never had a patient have a burn. I've never had a patient get scarring from laser, but it's because I've been trained in how to use them appropriately. So those are preventable complications. And so because of all of that, um, you know, we do have data in the medical research showing that significantly higher number of complications come out of med spas than doctor's offices. And so I almost hate talking about this because I don't like, trying to be like, it's, you know, come to me, I'm better. But really, it's just about patient safety. And you want to be informed, you want to know which laser is being used on you, you want to know who is administering the laser, you want to know what their training is like. 
Yeah, I just saw something on Instagram because Instagram is probably the biggest forum right now for people to even get all this information. Yeah, absolutely. And you get bombarded with it. <laughs> yes, and everybody on Instagram looks like they know what they're doing. So, exactly. you know, you can go to this med spa, get a laser treatment, not really knowing that they really don't know what they're doing. They're not being supervised exactly. by a physician. And exactly. once that happens, it's really too late. Then you're finding the dermatologist. To fix exactly. It. You're right. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds with the med spas, but, um, they have estheticians, right? Yes. Do you yes. have estheticians in your office who do some of the procedures? We do. So we have estheticians who do a lot of procedures like acne extractions, facials. And I love that. I think there's definitely a role for that because a lot of these procedures too are not just about um, getting, not just about changing the way your skin looks, but it's also about the experience and the way that it feels, right? So I have a lot of patients who I send regularly to our esthetician to get things like mild chemical peels, um, facials, and extractions. Um, so I like to think we are, we're all a team. There are a lot of people who work in the skincare, um, space and who contribute a different aspect of the skincare. So I'm actually, I host a lot of chats on clubhouse about this and it's really great because we'll have a dermatologist, an esthetician, a cosmetic chemist all in the same room. And we're all talking about different aspects of the same thing with ultimately the same goal to get people better skin. So I really love that they offer services that complement what a dermatologist is able to do. Now, there are things like we say, talk about chemical pills. It's the same thing as lasers. There are many, many different kinds. There's different depths, there's different indications. And so chemical peel is not just one thing. So there are some types of chemical peels that I have my esthetician perform. There are many uh, chemical peels that I do myself. And so there is some overlap and there's some area where we say, okay, this is better for a doctor to do. This is better for an esthetician to do. There's a lot of knowledge that a lot of estheticians have that's much beyond what a doctor would be able to have, such as recommending skincare products to use. Um, a lot of estheticians are more well-versed in the different brands that are out there, the different ingredients that you can find in um, various creams, lotions, serums over the counter. And so there's definitely a role. I think that estheticians can be a great asset to a dermatology practice. Well, you mentioned something earlier about all the different products and how people don't need to spend hundreds mm -hmm. of dollars on all the fancy moisturizers. That's another thing that I get overwhelmed with is there's mm -hmm. so many products on the market. Some mm -hmm. of them are extremely expensive. One that comes to mind is La Mer. I've heard <laughs> Jennifer Lopez uses this. It's really meant for your face and she will get the kind for your face and use it on her entire body. So she is spending well, thousands. She can do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, she can, but most of us cannot spend thousands of dollars on La Mer products to use on our body, but it sounds like maybe it's not really necessary anyway. So how can we determine what we really need? Are there certain products that you like that you would be comfortable promoting here? Absolutely. And um, none of this is sponsored. This is just my personal preferences in terms of product. So there is definitely a category of people who love to use those higher end luxury products like La Mer. But it's not just about the ingredients for La Mer. It's about the user experience. It's about the um, 
the feeling that you have when you're using that product. It's about their packaging. Um, it's about where you purchased it. You know, you can buy your La Mer at Bergdorf. So there are a lot of things around that that people are willing to pay that kind of price point for. So just to give your listeners a sense of it, it's around $170 for a standard size moisturizer. Now, yes, La Mer is great. It's beautiful. It feels good. It smells good. It, everything about the experience is great. But do you really need it? And the answer is absolutely no. So there are a lot of great moisturizers out there. If you're looking for a moisturizer for the purpose of just hydrating your skin, acting as an emollient for the skin, you can find great products for under $10. Some brands that I recommend all the time from a patient's for CeraVe, Neutrogena, La Roche-Posay, Cetaphil, those are all great brands. Then you get into the higher category than that, where you, you, know, you can also get a good user experience, but not break the bank. And those are brands like Affiance and Sente Skincare. Um, so there are brands of moisturizers and other creams over the counter that are beneficial at literally every single price point. There are newer brands coming out like the Ordinary and the Inky List that even offer active ingredients at particularly low price points like the Ordinary's Azelaic Acid, which is I think $7 at Ulta Beauty. And so you can find efficacious things over the counter for, you know, at very affordable price points. I personally have in the past used even drugstore brand brand body moisturizers for my face it matters that little <laughs> really well that's yeah. good to know I'm very glad to hear that I'm sure that my listeners will be glad to hear that too because it can become very costly especially as you start adding Botox and fillers exactly and lasers and everything to your repertoire well, mentioning moisturizers, I think that it's possible to find the affordable options, but there are aspects of a good skincare routine that I do think it's worth spending some money on, like your retinoid or maybe a vitamin C serum. So happy to get into that more if you'd like, but basically I say it's about optimizing where you're spending your money. And so focusing on things like procedures and maybe a retinoid and then saving money when it comes to moisturizers and cleansers is the way to go. I would like to hear that. I would like to hear where we should prioritize in your opinion. Perfect. So I think trying to use a good topical retinoid is a good idea. So over the counter, you can get retinols, which are by nature, not as strong as a retinoid. That just has to do with the chemistry of the molecule. But retinols are available over the counter. There's one retinoid available over the counter called adapalene. And it's an acne medication. And so it's not marketed as an anti-wrinkle or an anti-aging product, but it is the strongest retinoid available over the counter. So looking for a product that's got adapalene in it, there's a couple different brands that make it proactive, acne-free, different, and La Roche-Posay. You can find all of those on Amazon. It's like $35 for three months supply, and it's literally the strongest thing you can get over the counter. So I think a lot of people don't know that. Um, I didn't know that. There you go. So you should try that out. Even better than that, you could talk to a board certified dermatologist about getting a prescription retinoid, and that's going to be even stronger. Now, there's some side effects that retinoids have, like it can dry and irritate the skin a little bit. And so it's a good idea to talk to your dermatologist before foraying into the prescription strength stuff. But at least the adapalene is the best thing you can get over the counter. That is worth spending money on. Another thing is a vitamin C serum. So there are many different vitamin C serums out there. Some of my favorites are the SkinCeuticals, CE Ferulic, Silymarin CF, which is their newest product, and Floritin CF. 
those are at a high price point. They're at $170. But the reason they're that pricey are because vitamin C is a unstable molecule. And so they have patented the formula to keep it shelf stable for a year. Every other vitamin C serum out there has um, is a little bit unstable. So you have to replace it every couple of months. So other brands like L'Oreal and Obagi have really good vitamin C serums too. But the issue is you have to replace them every couple of months. Whereas the SkinCeuticals one you can hang on to for a year. So when it comes to vitamin C, I do recommend spending money. So the ordinary brand also makes an ascorbic acid, which is also vitamin C. You can buy that for $10. That one I don't recommend because that's not where you want to save your money. Vitamin C is unstable. You got to go for one that's been proven to be a little bit more stable. So the drunk elephant vitamin C that I've had in my medicine cabinet for a year probably Time isn't for doing anything. Time for a new one. <laughs> it was a bit expensive. Well, that's the marketing of drunk elephant. <laughs> mm, that's a bummer. I guess I'll throw that out. Um, what do you think of drunk elephant in general? I don't want the turn this to turn into a brand bashing segment. But yeah, I, I know exactly. I love the branding and the packaging on drunk elephant. I think it's so cute and it's so much fun. So I have a lot of patients who have like a full line of drunk elephant products. I think they have good products, but again, what I'll say is any retinol you can get over the counter, for example, like the retinol by Drunk Elephant is not going to be as strong as retinoid. And so the, you know, $35 three month supply of different gel or Epiclar Adapalene gel by La Roche-Posay that you can get on Amazon is going to work better than Drunk Elephant's retinol. So if you like the packaging, the feel, the use of, you know, your experience of using Drunk Elephant, great. But in terms of efficacy of ingredients in a product, I think that there are products out there that are more efficacious. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Good do tip. You, do you have a line of drunk elephant products sitting on your shelf? <laughs> I have the vitamin C and I have a moisturizer that has peptides and I have oh, the protein. Oh, yes, that one. I yeah. did mm -hmm. feel like that moisturized my skin really well, especially in the winter. Mm hmm. What do you think about that product? <laughs> I like it. I think it's a great product. Personally, I'm also fine with CeraVe from CVS, but I think that there is absolutely a role for that. And if you like it, you like it. So. I like it, but it's really expensive and it doesn't last long. There's not much in it. Yeah. And it's one of those bottles where you, you kind of, um, you push down on it and it pushes the product up. So you uh, never know when it's about to run out. So you could be using it one day and that's it. It's gone. And I guess you have to keep extras in the house. So that's my one complaint about it. Well, what you could do, and if maybe if any of your listeners are interested, if you go to shopmyshelf.com, it's a website where a lot of skincare experts, mostly plastic surgeons and dermatologists have um, posted their shelves or their list and all the different categories of recommended moisturizers and sunscreens and the like. So you can look my profile up over there, look up Kaveri Karhade, and you can find the moisturizers, the sunscreens, the hyaluronic acid serums, and so on and so forth that I like to recommend. And you can also peruse the shelves of other dermatologists and plastic surgeons. So that's one way to get some good um, brand recommendations. I probably, I don't think you'll find Drunk Elephant on many of them, um, but there are a lot of really good brands out there. And Drunk Elephant is one that if you like it, you like it, but you also don't have to spend quite that much. Well, thank you. I am going to check that out. 
What do you think about the all the magazines like Allure? You know, they have a lot of recommendations and um, ratings of the skincare products. And I really never know whether to trust them because I don't know if it's advertising or not. Oh, that is a good question. I actually do like the um, Allure recommendations. So I actually um, write a lot of articles myself or comment for a lot of articles in Allure myself. And basically what they do is they go to people like myself. They go to dermatologists to talk about what their recommendations are. So I will get an email from an editor of Allure to be like, what's your thought on X, Y, and Z products? And so I would say that if those if they're writing that those recommendations are coming from somebody like a dermatologist, they're probably pretty legitimate. Um, and so I do like the list that Allure um, good, does a good job in curating. Well, good. I like to read it. And so I'm glad that you said that because now I can look at it a little more reliably. What about New Beauty Magazine? New Beauty Magazine is paid for marketing. And so there are good recommendations in New Beauty, but they charge dermatologists and plastic surgeons on the order of like three to $4,000 a month to promote their persona and their product recommendations. Yeah. So that is paid for marketing. So, you know, there are good recommendations. These are primarily doctors who are sharing their recommendations and sharing their tips. And so the information coming out of that is probably legitimate, but it's probably not a good um, representative example of what people are recommending because there are only a certain select population of dermatologists who are able to and interested in paying for that marketing. So summary would be, I do think the recommendations are good and, and the products that they talk about are good, but it's not necessarily the only story. Yeah. It's not comprehensive. It's only the it's people not that have paid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. It's still fun to read, but I will keep yeah. that in mind when I'm reading it. <laughs> so you've said a lot about retinol and retinoids. What exactly are they doing for our skin? Great question. So retinols and retinoids, are they do a lot for the skin. And the reason they can do a lot is because they increase your skin cell turnover. So they basically, it's a chemical exfoliant, it gets rid of the stuff on top. And it helps to promote the new skin coming out faster. It also helps with collagen regeneration, and we all want more collagen. So um, the things that retinols and retinoids can help with are um, overall smoothing your skin out, helping to diminish the size of pores, um, helping with pigmentation issues like post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, melasma, all the things that I said, darker skin people are sometimes more prone to. It can help with fine lines and wrinkles. Um, and so because of all of that, it just kind of overall gives the skin a more youthful look. It makes the skin look maybe five to 10 years younger. And so pretty much every dermatologist I know is using a retinoid of some sort. Okay. So when do you think people should start using those in your thirties in your twenties and your forties? <laughs> so I have a lot of patients as early as age 15 using a retinoid for acne because it can also help with acne breakouts and it's a medication prescribed for that reason. Um, but I do recommend at the, if possible by the late twenties, a person should be using at least a retinol over the counter. There's really no downside to using it earlier than that. It's just, do you really need it? And is it just an extra step in your skincare routine? Maybe. So I think late twenties is a good time to consider starting a retinol or a retinoid. 
by the time you're in your 30s, you should absolutely be using one. Again, if you don't get started till later, no harm done. I didn't start that myself until age 30. Um, but once you hit age 30, the earlier you start, the better. Yes, the earlier you start. So for all the moms out there with daughters, make sure you now another thing we have to school them on and, and their their education of life is skincare. So make sure that you're doing that. And we know a lot more now than previous exactly. generations. Exactly. Yeah. I have a lot of patients who are older who tell me that, you know, in their younger years, because we didn't know they used to put baby oil on their skin and sit out in the sun, which we now know is not a good idea, but you know, you, you learn as you go. Yeah. Can you believe that? Can you believe people used to literally fry themselves? It. Well, you know, people wanted a tan and I, it was a good way to get a quick tan. So can't blame them. Didn't know better. Are tanning beds worse than the real sun? So yes and no. It's a good question. So tanning beds usually use UVA radiation, whereas the sun is primarily UVA and there's a little bit of UVB. Let me explain what that even means. So UVA is less harmful to the skin in terms of skin cancer risk than UVB. But UVA can contribute more to things like wrinkles. UVA is a thousand times more present in sunlight than UVB, but UVB is more carcinogenic. So basically being out in the sun means that you have that higher risk of skin cancer and wrinkles. Tanning beds utilize the UVA. So that means more risk of photo aging, but there still is some risk of increased skin cancer, especially things like melanoma. Um, UV, the tanning beds, even though it's UVA, so even though it's slightly less carcinogenic, if you will, than sunlight, but still somewhat carcinogenic, it's a very high concentrated dose of that UVA. So in that sense, it's much more than what you would get outside with sunlight. So the bottom line is tanning beds absolutely do increase skin cancer risk. They absolutely do increase skin aging. Um, and so I don't recommend that a tanning at all. In fact, it's a question that I ask every single patient who comes in for a skin exam. Have you ever gone to tanning salons regularly? Because if you have, you need regular skin checks, you need your moles checked and you need, you know, to be looked over for skin cancer because there is that higher risk. Um, an analogy of that would also be the um, UV lamps that are used for curing gel nails. So those are high doses of UV in today's world, they're starting to use more LED lamps, which are a little bit safer, but all of those do increase the risk of getting wrinkles and aging on the skin, like the brown spots and also melanoma. So there's, there have been people who've gotten melanoma underneath the nails from using nail lamps. So oh, that makes me so sad because I get <laughs> the gel nails, which I've been doing for years. So what do we do? I, I actually saw a lady one time wearing gloves that she bought yes. on Amazon with the, the exactly exactly that's what you got to do they're $13 get the fingerless UV UPF gloves on Amazon or whatever other brand you like and put those on right before you put your hands underneath the nail lamps that's going to at least protect the backs of your hands it's not going to protect skin right around your nails um, the nail plate itself protects your skin underneath that to some extent from things like skin cancer but, um, you know, do the best you can. It's best to avoid it. I'm not going to lie. I get it done myself sometimes to have it done right now. Um, so it's not like you can never get it done, but just try to limit it. Yeah. I was going to say, doctor, this is, this conversation is a buzzkill. I can't get my nails done. I can't go to the tanning <laughs> salon. 
What's well, next? okay, there's some good news. There's some good news. <laughs> we talked about some skincare anti-aging, so prevention of all these kind of skin issues. You can get a spray tan. Dermatologist loves spray tans. <laughs> I like that and positive attitude. Exactly. And yeah. pale skin is in these days, by the way. When I have patients who, you know, are of a Caucasian background but come in darker than myself, I'm I'm judging you. I'm like, you know what? You shouldn't be this tan. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm in New Jersey and it's the winter and I yeah, have no yeah. tan whatsoever. Pale skin is in. Your skin looks beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, actually, now that you mentioned, I do, um, I try to keep up with the skincare regimen. It's, mm -hmm. I get a little overwhelmed with what to do, um, which mm -hmm. thank you for shedding some light on some of those things. Try to keep up with this, the um, sunscreen, which I do use every day, but I'll be honest, I put my, I put a tinted moisturizer on in the morning and mm -hmm. then that's it. I don't think about it the rest of the day. Is this something that we need to reapply throughout the day? Good question. So, um, I know the bottle always says reapply sunscreen every hour and a half, two hours, which is just frankly not feasible for most people. What I would say is make sure to reapply if you're going to be out and about in the sun. If you're especially like a lot of people these days, if you're working from home, um, it is important to still wear sunscreen because you do get UV light through the windows, but applying an SPF 30 or more in the morning should be pretty sufficient to last the majority of the day. If you're going to go outside for a walk or something, reapply, or at least touch it up. Now, a lot of people wear makeup and that can make sunscreen reapplication really difficult. So things that I like to recommend are adding a sunscreen powder as a touch up or a sunscreen spray. So um, some of the products that I like are the Peter Thomas Roth sunscreen powder. Um, Color Science makes a sunscreen powder that's tinted. So that can kind of go on kind of like a foundation touch up. Um, Supergoop makes a sunscreen powder and they also make a great some uh, makeup setting spray with SPF 50. So that I love for my heavy makeup users because it's the great little thing to spritz your face with midday to kind of keep your makeup in place and also get you some SPF 50. Well, that was another question too. I've heard that getting anything above SPF 30 is just a waste of money because there really isn't effectively any such thing. Is that true? Uh, yes and no. So even SPF 15 covers or protects from 97% of UV. So even an SPF 15 is good. The reason a lot of doctors recommend SPF 30 is because the studies done on SPF 15 were done using large amounts of sunscreen. I'm talking the size of a shot glass worth of sunscreen to cover, you know, large areas of the body. And so you, I mean, that would be a third of a standard tube of sunscreen. Nobody's putting that much sunscreen in their face. The reason people recommend an SPF 30 is to make up for that error in application. Using anything higher than a 30, I mean, then you're talking about, are you covering 99% of the sun's rays or 98%? So that's why it's like, you don't really have to go much higher than that. I will say there are some people who I do recommend higher than an SPF 30. And those are people who are again, prone to things like melasma, which is triggered by sunlight. Um, using something like an SPF 100 is probably overkill, but there are some people who find that using those higher SPFs mean they can go longer without reapplying. So it is a little bit of a waste, but there's very little downside. So might as well. 
a lot of a lot of the cosmetically elegant mineral sunscreens now come in a standard SPF 50 or higher than that. And I don't see any problem with using that. You just probably don't need it. When you personally apply your daily sunscreen on your face, do you also do your neck? Do you do your hands? What do you personally do? That's a good question. And I I'm human too. I need to be better at it, but I do my face and then I kind of drag whatever remaining product is left onto my neck, try to cover my chest. If I'm going to be going outside, I absolutely make sure to cover my chest because the chest is an area that gets highly sun damaged quickly. And I see a lot of people in their forties and fifties who are coming in to do laser procedures to reverse the sun damage on their, on their chest. And so, um, prevention is still the best. And so I do put sunscreen in my chest. If it's going to be open, if it's going to be covered with my shirt, then I don't worry about it. And then I try to do my hands since moving from New York to California, I have noticed there's a lot more sun exposure. And I noticed that I don't do a good enough job with my hands. And so um, I try to use at least a uh, SPF 15 containing moisturizer for the backs of my hands. I also sometimes if I'm going to be driving, um, this may sound a little extra, but I use UPF 50 gloves. So I wear my, I wear driving gloves, I guess. <laughs> wow. Driving yeah. gloves. Yeah. That's... Because people get wrinkles and those brown spots on the backs of their hands. And I would, I would like to prevent that. Yeah. Well, you know, we spend so much time thinking about our faces and trying to keep our faces looking young that we sort of forget about the rest of our bodies. We do, we do, but they're important too. And, you know, and the other thing is people get skin cancers on their hands. So not to be a downer yet again in this conversation, but I have seen skin cancers, you know, right over the knuckle, for example, which how do you get rid of that? I mean, cutting that out, you can imagine is, is a nightmare. So I just, just throw a little sunscreen, at least, at least put the rest of the sunscreen from putting it on your face, at least then just kind of swipe it on your hand. Right? Yeah. And, you know, I think we've all experienced where in the summertime, especially, at least I've experienced this, my left hand will be a little more tan than the right from driving. That is such an interesting observation. Most people don't observe that, but you know, we see more sun damage and more um, skin cancer on the left side of the face, the left arm, the left hand, because of driving. And interestingly enough, it's the opposite. It's on the right side and in the United Kingdom and other places where people drive on the right. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense. <laughs> and I was actually really surprised. It was interesting that I learned at some point in time, I forget where it was, maybe it was Seattle where it rains a lot. They yeah. had really high instances of skin cancer there because people thought, well, it's, it's hazy outside. I don't need to wear sunscreen, yeah. but you do. Yeah. yeah. It's so true. You know, and, and the thing is this happens in areas that are rainy, but there's still high levels of UV. So, and then also in cold climates in the winter, people think they don't need to be suns wear sunscreen, but one, there's always UV and two, that UV reflects off of things like snow. And so there's almost more UV. So what I like to do is I actually go to my weather app on my iPhone and check the UV index. Like if you go to the weather app and you scroll all the way down, it'll show you what the index UV index is like for that day or that time. And so whenever it's anything above two, I'm like, mm, do I really want to go outside? Or if I'm going to go outside, I need a hat and I need sunscreen. You don't have to be as crazy as I am about it, but 
just paying attention to that. Sometimes you'd be surprised. It'll be a cloudy day and you'll look at that app and it'll say it's a UV index of seven. You know, how's the UV that high outside? And just a mental note to protect yourself a little bit better. I never look at that. I'm going to start looking at that. Yeah, start looking at it. It's, it's a great little tool. It's right there on your phone already. Yeah, these days I'm only looking at the temperature because I'm really over the winter. Um, <laughs> but you're in the Bay Area. It's not really only, it's not hot there. You're not in Southern California. You'd be surprised, actually. The Bay Area gets pretty hot. San Francisco itself has a pretty, as a, you know, temperate climate. But uh, I'm, you know, in Palo Alto, uh, about 30 miles south of San Francisco. The summers are, you know, we're talking in the 80s to 90 degree, 95 degrees. Mm, yeah, that feels really nice right now. <laughs> so if um, we can talk about something a little more in depth is skincare, just overall general skincare versus anti-aging care. Sure. Is there overlap? I mean, what do you kind of focus on more when you're talking about skin health as opposed to mm-hmm. anti-aging? Great question. And it's a topic that's come more into the conversation in recent years. Um, Some important aspects of skin health are maintaining the skin microbiome. And that's a big one. That's one that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on. So the skin microbiome is basically the flora that lives on your skin. You have tons of bacteria living on your skin. Everybody does. And it actually, in some sense, mirrors the gut flora. So the gut microbiome and skin microbiome are actually connected. And so some questions that come up are, are there optimal products to be using to maintain the skin pH? Because, you know, changes in the skin pH can change the skin, you know, the environment for bacteria to grow on. What about using antibiotics? Does taking oral antibiotics or using topical antibiotics, does that affect the skin microbiome? And then what about the role of your diet and lifestyle in protecting the skin microbiome? We know that things that you eat and the way that you live can affect gut symptoms like IBS because of impacts on the gut microbiome. And we're finding that the same is actually true of the skin microbiome. So yes, the products you use, um, they do matter. And the things that you eat do matter. Now, I don't mean that to sound like a downer, it's actually a positive thing. It means that by modifying diet and lifestyle, we can actually get better skin. And we know that because it has a lot to do with your skin microbiome. So some things to do for maintaining um, skin at optimal health and optimal pH and optimal microbiome are drinking lots of water, pursuing a healthy diet. So a lot of my patients for acne come in saying I cut sugar out. And we do know that sugar in and of itself doesn't cause acne. But what we also know is that diets high in processed food, diets high in dairy, diets high in red meat can impact and alter the skin microbiome, making a person more prone to rashes on the skin, like rosacea, like acne, and overall leading to, you know, allowing inflammation to exist in the skin. So people who are prone to eczema might have eczema flares on the skin. Focusing on that healthy diet is key in helping to maintain healthy skin as well. So all of that is not hocus pocus. It's not some sort of, you know, my grandmother said you have to drink eight glasses of water a day or eat fruits and vegetables to have good skin. There is some truth to that. Well, I have spent a lot of time talking about the um, gut microbiome. I have not heard of the skin microbiome. I didn't Mm. know that was a thing. It is. So, but I have heard how diet and specifically sugar and inflammation Mm -hmm. affects your gut microbiome and so many other things. It Mm -hmm. seems like that 
is the, that seems like such a huge piece of the key to just overall health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying with skincare too, mm-hmm. but when you say healthy diet, well, that means different things to different people. There's so many different diets, you know, everyone's now doing intermittent fasting and there's paleo and there's keto Mm -hmm. and there's plant-based and Mm -hmm. vegan, which are two different things. And you touched a little bit on what that is, but do you feel like a plant-based diet is necessary? Are you plant-based? I am not. I'm actually mostly plant-based just because I prefer the taste of that, but not for any other reason than that. It's a good question. And I think it's a difficult one to answer. And the reason is because we just don't have the research on it. We just don't know. So unfortunately, a lot of the world of medical research has largely focused on things like, you know, how we were talking about treatments. So a lot of our research is about treatments and we don't have as much research on prevention and therefore we don't have as much research on the role of diet. We're a lot more people are starting to study that. And so some of those studies are starting to emerge. So we do know about some connections. We know that um, things like dairy and red meat can contribute to things like acne, but we haven't really studied, you know, meat versus plant-based diets in terms of overall skin health. Um, So to be determined, I think that we'll eventually find that diets low in um, inflammatory foods, which am I even sure what those are? Not really, because again, we're still lacking research. But I think that eventually we'll find that things that don't inflame the GI tract will also not inflame the skin. I think that we'll, we'll find that. So people who um, have low inflammation foods, which there are actually specific lists for that. Um, and there are certain diets that tend to cause less inflammation than other diets. Again, still need to find out more about what that is, how to define that. But I think eventually we'll find out that um, plant-based diets may, may lead to improved skin. Well, I wonder, eat your vegetables. I wonder about that. Eat your vegetables. Exactly. People. Exactly. I like vegetables, but I'm. Pe- There's no downsides to it. So yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I like pizza too. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> so I know that there. Um, at least I see that there's some overlap between what a dermatologist will do and what a plastic surgeon will do. Like mm-hmm. you, I, you do Botox and fillers, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When do you think that it's time for someone or maybe more appropriate for someone to see a board certified plastic surgeon as opposed to a dermatologist? That is a great question. And um, there's no official answer to that. There is overlap in what we do. Plastic surgeons focus more on the surgical aspect, but they also offer non-surgical options like fillers and Botox. And dermatologists don't do surgery, like facelifts and that kind of thing. But they do, I mean, they do skin cancer surgery, but not cosmetic surgery. Um, But we primarily focus on the non-surgical options like Botox and fillers. I would say that either a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist is a good person to see for those procedures. Um, However, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, there are a lot of people who don't have that level of training also performing Botox and fillers. And there is so much nuance art and science to preventing complications from those procedures and making sure a patient gets the best results that I absolutely only recommend seeing a board certified physician, whether dermatologist or plastic surgeon for those, because 
I, unfortunately, in today's world, there are people doing those injectables that have had only a two hour virtual training session with a rep of the company, not even with a physician. So know know the person who's injecting your face before getting injected. There are people who spend years and years studying literally just the cosmetic aspect of non-surgical injectables. And so board board certified dermatologists or plastic surgeon are the people to seek out. I always tell people, especially when you're dealing with your face, I mean, dealing with your body too is important in your health, but especially your face, why would you rely on a Groupon? (laughs) <laughs> That's not the place to bargain shop. Exactly. I mean, I feel the same way. And you know, the thing is, I get it. I get it. These procedures can be expensive, right? And the reason they're expensive is because the products themselves are sold at very high prices to practices themselves. I mean, a physician has to pay, I think Allergan charges a physician like 300 or $400 for one syringe of filler, one milliliter of filler costs that much. And it's just because there are only a few companies making it. So it's just, it's just the unfortunate reality of the cosmetic market, but you know, not everybody's got that kind of money to put on into injectables. And so I can see the appeal of using something like a Groupon, but I do echo what you say. Why would you use a Groupon when it comes to your face? It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. Yeah. The other example I always give to is laser eye surgery. Don't bargain shop oh, that yeah. either. Oh, geez, I didn't even realize you could bargain shop that. That sounds scary. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I'll see Groupons and I'll oh think, <laughs> why would anyone yeah. do that? I mean, it doesn't mean that there aren't people that are perfectly qualified yeah, exactly. having Absolutely. Groupons, but I just don't think that's the place that I would bargain shop. I agree. So I want to thank you for giving me so much of your time. I feel like physicians, though, I, they have you know, special secrets to the universe because you're Mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, you've learned so much, you've had so much training and so much education. And there is a lot of misinformation out there, as we know, Mm -hmm. social Mm -hmm. media. And this is something that you do every single day. You've had extensive training and you're always learning. So in addition to all the things that we've talked about, is there anything else that you really would like us to know? Like, some secrets about skincare, health and wellness that you wanted to mention? Oh, that's such a good question. And you know what? I feel, I apologize. I feel like I've been such a downer this whole conversation, but maybe I can end with some positive news. And the secret that I would share is that despite this whole world of skincare out there and all these choices and who do you go see and where do you get injectables done and all these things, the answer is actually really simple. Most people, all you really need for a good skincare routine is any moisturizer, any cleanser, a sunscreen in the morning, maybe a retinoid at night, focus on prevention, see a dermatologist to discuss your skincare routine. And that's pretty much it. Almost every dermatologist you'll talk to has less than five products in their skincare routine. So there's probably some reason for that. And so any board certified dermatologist would be happy to see any of you for your, you know, just to discuss your skincare regimen. You can, I have a lot of patients who bring in their bag of products and we go through them and I say, use this, don't use this, use this one once a week. And that way we can kind of save what you've got. But basically bottom line, the answer can be very simple. You only need a couple of products for your skincare routine. Skincare can be affordable lot of great products at affordable price points. And there are a lot of great people out there with lots of expertise, just waiting to share that with you. So anything that you have a question on anything that you are wondering about misinformation, 
talk to a doctor about it. Great advice. Can you take us through your skincare routine? Like what do yeah, you do every to. day? Sure. I would love to. So I use a gentle cleanser for my face. Currently the one that I'm using is by Aven. It's called their gentle milk cleanser. Um, I pat my skin dry. I follow that with an antioxidant serum. So currently I've been using the Epion's, um, I think it's called intense defense repair serum, um, or I'll use one of the SkinCeuticals vitamin C serums. I fall, I let that sit in for a little bit and then I follow that up with a sunscreen. So my current favorite sunscreen is by Skin Better. It's their Sun Better Tone Smart Sunscreen Lotion. It is so great because it's so cosmetically elegant. It's a mineral sunscreen. So it just sits on top of your skin, so no chemicals. And it's got a little tint to it. And so it kind of just looks like a little sheen of makeup without really going too far in the makeup. And that's all I use in the morning. So just the cleanser, the antioxidant serum and sunscreen. And then at night, I use a micellar water to take any makeup off. And then um, I apply a prescription strength compounded topical retinoid that's got some niacinamide and hyaluronic acid in it to help deal with the side effects of retinoids. And so it doesn't dry my skin out too much. And then sometimes I'll use a moisturizer if my skin is feeling dry. Sometimes I'll just stick with that. And that's it. Do you use the retinoid every day? I try to, I skip some days cause it does dry my skin out a little or because I forget and life gets busy, but I try to do it at least four times a week, four or five times a week. Is that something you have to build up to or can yes. you should? Okay. So you, you don't just buy it and then you're using it every Correct. single day. Absolutely. Retinoids are a little tricky to start. They're best used maybe every other night initially, or if you have super sensitive skin one to two times a week and you can put a moisturizer on um, either before or after, or even both before and after putting the retinoid on, it doesn't impact the absorption. So it's totally okay to do it before, especially if you're prone to dry skin. And then eventually your skin gets kind of used to it and you can bump up the frequency of it or even bump up the strength of the retinoid. And I didn't hear a vitamin C serum in there. Yeah. So the, the, um, the vitamin C serum um, referring to an antioxidant serum. So that's the Epion's product that I use in the morning, or I use the SkinCeuticals vitamin C serum, which is the Floritin CF or, um, uh, oh my gosh, CF, oh my gosh, CE Ferulic. Sorry. Yes. I just blanked <laughs> on the name there for a second, even though I recommend it every day and, or their Selimarin CF, which is their newest product. Okay. So this is a good thing to have in your toolkit, just the basics. Yes. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. If I'm ever in the Bay area, I'm going to pay you a little visit. Absolutely. I would love to meet you. I'm so glad we made this happen. It was so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me on today. It was so good to be able to share whatever I, I do know with your listeners. And hopefully this will at least kind of help to address any of the misinformation out there. Yes. Thank you so much. And please remind us how can people find you who are in the Bay area who would like to use your service? Great. I will. I love to, I love to meet any potential patients. You can schedule an appointment with me at my website, which is www.drkavi.com. Um, D R K A V I.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Kavi underscore derm. Um, and feel free to message me. And I will have all of those links in the show notes for everybody. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.